0: about the justice of God, we've talked about the prophetic narrative of Amos. We've kind of dug deep theologically, and I appreciate all of your support, all of your positive comments, Uh, but now as we enter the Christmas season, I just want to kind of pivot and give you some very, very practical teaching in the next three weeks on a very relevant subject and that is how to keep Christ in Christmas. We want to keep Christ in Christmas. That's what it's about, right? It's about his birthday. A few weeks ago, uh, I was visiting a local coffee shop and anyone recognize this? Of course, it's a Starbucks Christmas or holiday mug, the annual one. They come out every year with them. This one's got snowflakes and diamonds and various things. Um, I don't know about you, but a few years ago, I remember how much controversy Starbucks holiday mugs created. You know, at first you think, oh, it's just a holiday mug. The year was actually 2015, so we're just going back about six years. And there was somebody who called himself an evangelist. And he decided he was going to accuse Starbucks of waging a war on Christmas. Because he didn't like the decorations on their cup. That year it had Christmas wreaths. It had Christmas trees. And he... Uh, said, you know, they have taken Christ out of Christmas. And you might remember some of the television networks jumped on it. And there was this war about Christmas, all because of some silly red cup from a corporation called Starbucks. The very next year, Starbucks decided not to put anything on their cup. It was completely... Red, but without any kind of decorations whatsoever. But they found that this whole idea of accusing them of trying to take Christ out of Christmas really created more mockery of Christianity than it did any sympathy. So the designs are back. Now yes, these are secular designs, but isn't this a lot more Christmassy than just a red cup? Yeah. I think so, and I love Christmas. Sometimes we can get so involved in silly things, but there is a way to keep Christ in Christmas, and that's what the next three weeks are going to be about. How can you and I, on a very pra- this is very practical, how can we keep Christ in Christmas? And here's the bottom line. Hear this. If you hear this, you'll know what uh, the bottom line of the sermon is. We will keep Christ in Christmas when we keep Christ in ourselves. That's how we keep Christ in Christmas. By making sure that Christ is the center of our own life. I want you to turn today to Colossians chapter 3. If you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can go to wfa.church, go to where it says live stream, and it will pull up today's outline. All the the, uh, points will be there. You can take notes there. As Pastor Darth said, unfortunately, we're not live streaming today, but all the information is still there. Or if you have the church center app, Boy, that's the best way to get to the information about Wenatchee first is the Church Center app. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things on earth. Not whether some secular corporation puts a picture of the manger on their coffee cup. You see, when we get so tied up in what we might call cultural wars, we've already lost the battle because our eyes are down here instead of up in heaven. And here it says, keep your eyes on things of heaven, for you have died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Then look at verses 16 and 17. Let the message about Christ, all its richness, fill your lives. Friends, that is the way to keep Christ in Christmas. It's to let the message of Christ fill your life. Don't worry about your neighbor. Don't worry about the the secular guy down the street. Don't worry about the corporations. Don't worry about what the, the news people are doing. It says, let the message about Christ in all its fullness and riches fill your lives and teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. That's why I say this is going to be a practical series because I think you and I need to teach and counsel our children, our grandchildren, our neighbor children, our neighbors. We need to teach them and counsel them with all the wisdom he gives, not by declaring war on someone that doesn't even have the same biblical values we do but by letting the message of Christ fill our lives, fill our homes, fill this wonderful time of the year that we call Advent and Christmas. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Don't let somebody rob the joy of Christmas from your life, no matter what might be on a cup. And whatever you do, Whatever you say, listen to this. Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I want to repeat it one more time. The best way to keep Christ in Christmas is to make sure that we keep Christ in our lives and our homes, and our attitude in the weeks ahead. Lord Jesus, as we begin this series of messages, very practical, yet Lord, those are the things that our neighbors will see. Those are the things our children will see. Lord, we do want to keep Christ in Christmas, but Lord, we don't want to get involved in some silly cultural war that does really not much good. Sometimes it makes us look silly. So Lord, forgive us for things that we have concentrated on that are of earthly value. And help us to obey Paul as he wrote to the church in Clausia, that we might be focused on heavenly things. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I want to talk about some practical things on how we can keep Christ in Christmas and in our Christmas spirit. Because, you know, you can have all the wonderful Christmas decorations up and still not have a Christ-like attitude. So it's not just about outward things. It's really about us. But we're going to talk about some things like the pressure that we all have to buy, buy, buy. And for many people to get deeper into debt, debt, debt. (laughs) That's an insanity that we don't want to get involved with. So, we'll be talking about how to keep Christ in our giving. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about how to keep Christ in our relations. Because uh, the way that we relate to people has a lot to say about who we're focused on during this holiday season. So, we're going to talk about how to deal with those in-laws, and um, those relatives that are sometimes just at odds with us because of our biblical values. And, and so we want to keep Christ. We don't want to dive into their cesspool. We want to keep above that. So How do you keep Christ in Christmas when relating to people who, um, frankly, are trying to maybe undermine your values? So those two things are coming up, but today I want to start off with a look about how to keep Christ in Christmas in the holiday itself, in our celebrations, in our celebrating. And we're going to look at some very specific ways that you and I can keep Christ in the center of our celebration. For some of you, this is going to be maybe things that you have already learned, but for some of you, it'll be completely new. And I know there's many here that have not been raised in a Christian home. So for you, this might be very informative and educational, but it's all going to be very practical, okay? So my first point is, when you decorate for Christmas, decorate with a purpose. Intentionally, Decorate with a purpose. Make sure that when you are decorating, you are teaching the true meaning of Christmas by your decorations. And then, as you put your decorations up, teach your children, your grandchildren, collectively what those decorations represent. Just as the communion this morning represented the blood and body of Jesus on the cross. We understand that, but sometimes we hang things on the wall that represent things. First of all, we might not even know what they represent, and if we do, sometimes we don't share with others what they represent. So let's start off with the most obvious, the tree. Beautiful. The Christmas tree. It has enormous significance and symbolic meaning. First of all, the color itself, green, is a liturgical color that specifically means new life, new life. And the tree also represents another tree, and that's the cross. And you can explain that to your children, that the tree does represent the cross that was actually Taken from a tree. I mean, Christ was a person. The scripture says we know he was born, but he was born with a purpose, and the purpose was to die. So actually looking at a Christmas tree itself is looking ahead, not only to eternal life with the very color, but also looking ahead to the death of Jesus on the cross, which of course is part of the Lent and Easter season it's also most trees are evergreen reflecting the eternal life that can be ours these trees don't have a, a topper but most of our trees have something on top and it's probably going to be an angel or maybe a star and again those things are designed by purpose There's a reason that we put an angel on the top of the tree. It is the angel, according to the word of God, that announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. And it was the star, remember, that led the wise men to the Christ child. So when you put that star or that angel on your Christmas tree, there is a symbolism that needs to be declared to your family. And that is a way you can keep Christ in Christmas. In both cases, the star and the angel were high in the sky. We know that. That's why you put the angel and the star on the top of the tree. Often you see silver and gold as colors used in Christmas decorations. There's a reason for that as well if you go back historically. Silver represents Purity. So silver itself can represent the sinless purity of Jesus. Gold, of course, was one of the gifts that were brought to the Christ child. Gold represents the gold that the wise men placed at the feet of Jesus. Now, I can go further with that. I don't know if you've ever seen a tree that is full of what you would call Christ monograms. We don't use a lot of monograms in our Protestant churches, particularly not in Evangelical or Pentecostal churches, but I've actually seen trees that have nothing but monograms on them, and they're called mon trees. Maybe some of you have seen them. They're actually beautiful. Everything on that tree is a monogram or a symbol that represents Jesus. Now, one of the monograms you might have seen is the two letters X and P. Chiro is, is the name. Chiro, chiro. That's Greek. X is the first letter in the spelling of Christ in Greek. If you were going to write Christ's name in Greek, the first letter would be X. That's why the early Christians would often use the symbol X for Christ. I get such a kick out of people who get so upset. Oh, it says Xmas. They're trying to take Christ out of Christmas. No, they're not. Because X represents Christ in Greek, it's very common in the early church to use Xmas. Because XP, the first two letters in the spelling of Christ. Another monogram you might have seen, particularly if you've been to maybe a Lutheran church or a Methodist church, you'll see it often at their altar. It's IHS. IHS. That's also Greek. And it's the first three letters of Jesus. Not of Christ, but of Jesus So when you see IHS, it means Jesus. If you see XP, it means Jesus. And you can get really creative if you ever wanted to do a a a Christmas tree where it's full of monographs. In addition to Chiro, and in addition to you know um, IHS, man, think about it. You could put crosses. You could put manger scenes. You could put the crown of thorns, that tree could be a teaching tree. Doesn't have to be your main tree, but it can be a teaching tree. There's endless ways to use a tree to keep Christ in the center. Let's talk about a wreath. Man, we've got beautiful wreaths hanging up here. Another common way, I have one on my front porch that was sent to me by my sister, a wreath. We've already talked about the meaning of green. We've talked about the meaning of silver and gold. But I want you to notice that a wreath is a circle. And that circle is very symbolic. That circular shape of the wreath is significant because it's symbolic of the eternal life that we have with Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave, this is a Christmas verse, his only son, that whosoever believes in him should have what? Everlasting life. Wow, a circle, there's no beginning there's no end it's a circle now personally that's kind of how I see Christmas cookies too (laughs) you you know I think oh man (laughs) Linda made she was going to get a head start on her Christmas baking so she decided to make Christmas cookies but her mistake was she didn't put them in the freezer fast enough (laughs) and I thought man those are circles they represent eternal life love Christmas cookies. I love the candles that we have on our platform. Candles are truly a symbol of Christmas. Man, they probably have some of the deepest imagery and symbolism of all because of the multiple ways they've been used throughout the centuries. First of all, people put candles in their windows for centuries to represent Christ is the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world. Another reason that they do it has to do with the story told by Jesus in the New Testament about the ten virgins who carried their lamps waiting for the appearance of the groom. We're the bride of Christ we're waiting for the appearance of the groom. We're in Advent season right now. Double value, remember? We're waiting for the first birth, which has happened, we celebrate, but we're also waiting for the second coming. So a candle is truly a way of saying, Lord, we are waiting for you. We light them in anticipation. It's kind of like Motel 6, you know, we'll always leave the light on for you, Man, I want to be like Tom Bodette. I want to make sure my light is shining so Jesus knows where I am at. And, of course, candles are so warm, it's it's, uh, a sign of hospitality. Another great symbol of Christmas. We're talking about decorating here, okay? Uh, Candy canes. Candy canes originated back in the 17th century. So that would be like the 1600s. And it was a German choir master who had all these kids he had to keep quiet until his performance. And so he asked somebody to make them candy sticks, plain, simple, white sugar sticks. And at the last moment, he said, you know, could you put a crook in that candy stick for these children? Because then it will look like a shepherd's crook. So, you know, when we perform for our big Christmas service, it won't be a bunch of kids just with a sugar stick. It'll kind of tie into what we're talking about. That's where the candy cane originally was introduced. But what you might not know is this modern candy cane, which really didn't look like the German sugar stick, was actually designed in Indiana, the Hoosier State, back in the 1920s. And it was designed to represent the true meaning of Christmas. I think the first time I realized that was when Pastor Janice, one, one year, decided that she was going to emphasize candy canes to all the kids. And, and she taught this lesson. And we gave candy canes out. And it was the first time I would really heard of this. And so I went back to make sure that the veracity, the authenticity of the story was correct. And it is. It was very intentional. He took the white candy stick and he kept it white to represent, again, the purity, the sinless life of Jesus. And then he said, I'm going to wrap that pure, sinless life in red stripes based specifically out of Isaiah. Remember Isaiah? The prophecy, the Messiah would come and by his stripes we are healed which was a prophecy about the death of Christ we've talked about that the salvation means sozo which is complete not just spiritual but emotional and physical as well now we tend to think well that's nice and he kept the shepherd stick the shepherd staff not really the guy in Indiana back in the 20's put that crook in there because he wanted this to actually be a J to represent Jesus now you can look at it either way but intentionally and I think this is so cool that some candy maker in Indiana in the 1920s figured out a way to keep Christ in Christmas and that's the way he did it when you decorate look around Make sure your decorations are done with purpose and be sure to share the meaning. The second thing I'd encourage you to do is celebrate not just Christmas, but this Advent season. Now, some years we have an Advent wreath and we light the candles. Some of you were here several years ago when we went through the whole um, liturgical year and we had weekly devotionals for you. But I think Advent is really important. Sometimes it's the anticipation It's the waiting. The Bible says when we wait upon the Lord, we'll renew our strength. There's just something about waiting till Christmas Day or Christmas Eve to open up your Christmas gifts. The Advent season. Advent simply means coming. Coming. Something's coming. Christmas is coming. The second coming is coming. Your trip to Hawaii is coming. Yeah, you are in this... this, season of expectation and in the old testament as i said it was the expectation of his first birth for us it's the expectation of his second coming now the ancient prayer for advent was one word maybe you've heard it maranatha that was the word that was the prayer maranatha one word maranatha it simply means come lord jesus Man, the celebration of Advent was to be celebrated the four Sundays before Christmas. And it was designed to build this expectation. And we know that Advent was formally introduced into the church back in the 500s. Maybe 515, 520. It became part of the ritual or the liturgy of the church of that day. But if you do a little research on church history, you'll find out that many of those Advent customs go all the way back to the 300s. So we're talking just a few generations away from when Christ was actually born. Advent is one of the most ancient traditions of the Christian church. So let's not just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's embrace Advent. Now, I talked about the Advent wreath. It comes from, again, Germany, back about the same time the candy stick was invented. Um, Here's how it works. Some of you uh, know this. Maybe some of you don't. But there's an Advent calendar that has four candles in a wreath, And in the center, there's one white candle. And on the first week of Advent, you light a candle, you say a prayer, you read a scripture verse. On the second week of Advent, you light the first candle plus the second candle. So every week, you can see the wreath is becoming more bright because you're moving toward Christmas Day. Now this actually was taken from the Old Testament celebration of Hanukkah, from the book of Maccabees, which the Protestants have thrown out of the Bible. But Maccabees talks about this wonderful Jewish celebration, the Festival of Lights. And there's a menorah. And they light a candle each night for Hanukkah. This Christian tradition of Advent is connected to that Old Testament tradition of the Jews celebrating Hanukkah. Now, the candles for Advent have symbolism, and the center candle is white. Traditionally, the candles for weeks 1 and 2, or 1 and 3, I think it is, are purple, and 2 and 4 are pink. Forget exactly, but there's colors. But the white one is in the middle because it represents the glory of Christ. All the candles are traditionally set in this wreath, and there's themes. Last week, we talked about the the theme of hope. Today, I mentioned during communion, the theme of Advent is peace. Next week, the third Sunday of Advent is joy. And finally, on the sunday closest to christmas we celebrate love so don't don't dismiss advent as being something that's too traditional for you and if you don't understand it study more it's a wonderful thing to incorporate friends into our celebration of christmas third thing i want to talk about ho 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 is santa okay I'm ready for the emails (laughs) and I know we live in a day that people aren't real sure about Santa and let me just say right at the front I respect your opinion I respect you if you decide that Santa will not be part of your children's celebrations I respect that you're my brother you're my sister but I want you to hear how Santa actually has a biblical uh, foundation and I want you to hear today why you can't celebrate Santa and enjoy that part of Christmas and still keep Christ in Christmas. Now let me address first of all this is one of the big issues for a lot of people. I thought it through when our daughter was was small is do you pass on this Santa story to children knowing it's not true? Are you going to in some way impair your credibility? You know? Say, well, pastor, if I let my kids really think there is a Santa Claus, then later in life when they find out it's not, Maybe they won't trust me when I'm teaching them the things of God, and they worry about that, and I understand that fully. That's why I say from early on, you can celebrate the fun part of Christmas and still not dilute the truth of Christmas if you understand the true meaning of Santa Claus, and that is what some people don't fully understand. Yes, we have a pretend Santa, and... He's designed to keep the spirit of the real Santa alive. The real Santa was a guy by the name of St. Nicholas. And he represented the true meaning of Christmas very, very well. St. Nicholas was a real figure. We're not talking about Santa Claus, North Pole. Okay, I'm talking about a real person. St. Nicholas Not just a real historical person, but a real person that impacted the church of Jesus Christ. He lived in what is now known as Turkey. He died in the year 350. So St. Nicholas has been around a long time. It's not a figment of somebody's recent imagination. 350 is when he died. In fact, tomorrow, December 5th, is the feast day of St. Nicholas. If you were worshiping in a church that celebrated those that have gone on before and recognized saints, whether that be Episcopalian or perhaps Lutheran or Orthodox or Catholic, tomorrow would be the day that would be St. Nicholas's feast day. He was very active in the church at the time. He was part of what you might remember, the great council of Nicaea. The Nicaean council was in 325. And it was a very important council to solidify our view of Christology. During that time, there was groups that say, well, was Christ fully god Or was he fully man? And there were all sorts of different teachings. And they called church leaders together in Nicaea in the year 325. And one of the guys who was the spokesman was St. Nicholas. So theologically, he helped the church decide this issue Jesus is fully God and fully man, he can be both. Now, I know that's hard for us to understand, but it's a spiritual mystery. If you have ever recited the Nicene Creed, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. That is a statement of faith that St. Nicholas actually helped in that council in Nicaea. But back to St. Nicholas himself, that's what he did for us theologically. But this guy was known for his holiness. He was known for his passion for Christ. He was tortured. He was imprisoned for his faith. Terrible day back there under Emperor uh, Diocletian. Uh, but he remained true to his faith in Christ. He was somewhat of a man of means. And he gave away almost all of his money. He didn't take a vow of poverty, but he gave away almost all of his money. And most of it was to help children. He is the patron saint of children because St. Nicholas loved children. I want to share just one story this morning. And again, this is not a made-up story. This is a real story from church history about this guy by the name of St. Nicholas. During this era, there were three poverty-stricken girls, all from the same family. Now remember, this is a different culture, a different day. In those days, the only way that any girl could make it in life was to marry. And the only way they could marry is if they had a dowry. You didn't just find a girl you loved and marry her, you married her in part for the dowry. A dowry was money, or perhaps it was camels, maybe it was other possessions, but a dowry was things that a father could provide so that his daughter was attractive and could attract a man who would care for her. If you look in any really history book about this era, you'll see a dowryless girl could never have been married. It's terrible. They were often thrust into the worst of conditions because they had absolutely no way to fend for themselves. And unfortunately, for a lot of girls who didn't have dowries, they ended up as prostitutes. That's just the way the culture was. There was a man who had three girls who wanted the best for his girls and had. Absolutely no dowry to offer with them. Saint Nicholas heard about this situation. He wanted to do something anonymously. That's the way most Christ followers bless others, is not by calling attention to yourself, but by doing things anonymously. St. Nicholas went out one night, and he took three bags of gold, and he dropped those bags through a hole in the ceiling, somewhat like a chimney, and he dropped those bags of gold into the house. And the next morning, those girls and their father found those three bags of gold. You see where some of the traditions related to Santa are coming from? For real, even Santa coming down a chimney has a biblical basis in our faith. When we look at Saint Nicholas, he gave one bag of gold for each daughter to serve as a dowry. All three could be married then, and it was because of this that he is known as the patron saint of children. And that led, in that day, to giving a presence in his name. As I was researching for this message, I found out that a lot of the children had trouble saying St. Nicholas. A lot of syllables there. St. Nicholas. It soon became St. Klaus. And they would just call him St. Klaus. And the Dutch. God bless those in the Netherlands. The way that they pronounced it was Santa Claus. It's a wonderful tradition. There are theological, (laughs) there are, are some spiritual ways that you can let your kids enjoy Santa if you also come alongside them and teach them the true meaning of Santa. Tell them about Saint Nicholas. Let them keep Giving and generosity and and love for other people alive. Man, I've got to go on. There's just a couple other things I want to throw out. This is a season that I think almost every family watches movies. Man, I think the Hallmark Channel started in September with their (laughs) around-the-clock Hallmark movies. And I don't want to give anything away, but he's not going to return to New York to his law firm. He's going to stay in his hometown and marry his high school sweetheart. Okay, I'm sorry I gave I gave the pot away. I'm sorry. Well, there's some good Hallmark movies. But there's some movies that you can expose your children to that man are going to teach the biblical principles. I told you this is a practical teaching, right? I warned you. Um, Nothing wrong with Elf, you know. Nothing wrong with Miracle on 34th Street or Frosty the Snowman. Uh, But, man, there's some great movies. One that was produced about six years ago is called The Star. It was produced first in theaters. We took our granddaughter to it. Now it's out on DVD, probably get it on you know, uh, streaming somehow. The star is the Christmas story through the eyes of the animals. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies now. There's this donkey by the name of Bo, and Bo is the, the star. And these innocent animals wind up around the manger at the end of the story. It is a wonderful, if, if you have children, I encourage you, watch The Star. But you know, there's other movies, some even secular. It's a wonderful life. It's, it's an oldie, I understand, but man, it captures the Christmas spirit. There are a lot of spiritual and biblical references in that movie. And after the movie, if you just take five minutes and debrief, same thing with a Christmas Carol. Um, particularly the ones that are authentic to the way that Dickens wrote it which keeps the Christian aspects uh, of the story but don't be afraid of of some of those things Uh, of course one of of, uh, the classics really is Charlie Brown's Christmas one of all of our favorites I think Uh, you know for being a secular movie that they show year after year it's one of the most blatant Christian movies out there I mean, there's no compromise there. Because let's remember, this really is about celebrating the birth of Jesus. Something else Pastor Janice did for many years, and I think Jenny actually followed along, and the same line is making it into a birthday party. Not about getting gifts, like Christmas is sometimes about, but giving to others. Make it a birthday party. Whether you have a birthday cake, whether you sing happy birthday to Jesus, whether you give a gift to Jesus, maybe that could be a gift of time. Maybe it could be something that you're giving to Jesus that you're going to do all during 2022. I loved it. A few weeks ago, Haley came in with her children and she had all these all these shoe boxes, you know, because we were part of the Operation Christmas Child. And she says, yeah, Pastor, we did this as a family. And I thought, oh, how beautiful. She let her kids be involved. She was teaching them the true meaning of Christmas in that you give to others just like St. Nicholas did. Bible says when we do to the least of humankind, we do it under the Lord. We had, I think it was 96 or 97 shoeboxes given this year. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you. Children who will not only receive a gift, but hear the gospel. See, those kind of things, when you can tap into those things and use them as teaching moments. So those traditions that we've talked about today, just a few ways of helping keep the focus on a birthday celebration. And finally, bottom line, be sure to tell the story. I mean, it's really that simple. You know, just as Mary proclaimed, man, read the, uh, uh, Mary's song, how she just proclaimed the goodness of God. We need to proclaim the story of Christmas. Tell the story. Deuteronomy 6 says, I I give you these commandments today. I'm I'm going to paraphrase that. God has given us a lot of traditions today that we should bind on our hearts, we should impress on our children. Talk to them when you sit with them, when you walk with them, when you decorate with them, when you get up. Of course, he asked the Jews to tie them on their, their arms and their foreheads. But think about your house being symbols of Christianity. See, the whole idea of Deuteronomy 6 and the whole thing I'm talking about today is to bring the story of God, bring the story of Jesus into our homes and into our lives. Let your kids do a nativity play. I love what our Latino brothers and sisters do with Las posados where for nine nights <laughs> they march from house to house and they knock on, the, is there any room for me? And they're teaching their children the Christmas story. And, of course, the very final night, yes, there's room for you and room for Jesus and there's a big, there's a big party. It's a good way. They've got that tradition, but we have our own traditions. If you have a nativity set, make sure your kids are involved in, in setting that up. Let your children, your grandchildren, be part of that. And when you do, talk about it. I don't know, somehow this week, Faith and I managed to get a little stuffed porcupine in our nativity set. Yeah. Do you think grandma would notice? Grandma noticed. But it was fun because it gave me just a, a moment of opportunity to talk about Christmas, to talk about the nativity set. And the last thing I want to say, and I'm done. (laughs) I like this stuff, because I like Christmas. This is the most wonderful time of year. And you can enjoy a latte. (laughs) And if you choose, you can enjoy celebrating Santa, if you understand the meaning. But bottom line, this is what I'm going to leave you with. Sometime whether it's Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, make sure you actually take out your Bible the Word of God turn to Luke chapter 2 and read the Christmas story some of you might do that before Christmas dinner, some of you might do it before you open your gifts some of you might do it the night before Luke chapter 2 is the real reason for Christmas and our children and even us adults who can get so caught up in the trappings of this wonderful time of year and we can get so caught up in all those forty percent off sales at Hobby Lobby and our house can have all those wonderful decorations we can still forget we can kinda get sidetracked so it's good not just for the children it's good for us Christmas Eve or Christmas Day make sure you pause and read the Christmas story. The best way to keep Christ in Christmas is for you to keep Christ the center of your life. As Colossians 3 said, whatever you say, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Do it as a representative of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's stand together, shall we? Father, I thank you that we can look at some very practical ways of keeping our focus on the birth of your Son and our Savior. I pray, oh God, today that if we have learned something, that we will apply it. I pray, oh God, that we will all realize that there is a reason for this season. And the reason is Jesus Christ. And whether we're reading the Bible story, whether we're explaining the origins of St. Nicholas and Santa Claus, whether we're eating a candy cane, whether we're we're putting decorations on a tree, I pray that we will keep you the center of this wonderful season. In Jesus' name, amen.